live from the Parent Nation studios, it's Parent Nation with Tara Kennedy Klein, the Internet's top talk radio show featuring real talk for real parents, shaken and stirred up with a twist from America's family advocate, Tara Kennedy Klein. Yeah, well, I got a news flash for you, folks. The problem with kids is parents. Excuse me, Sheryl Sandberg, but I'm not leaning in anymore. I'm sick of spilling my martini. (laughs) I'm serious. It's time to put the F word back in parenting. Fun parenting. Oh my gosh, why can't we do this? Why can't we have dance parties in our kitchens? I don't understand. And now, here's your host, Tara Kennedy Clive. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Parent Nation. I am so excited to be here with you today. I um, There's some really crazy stuff going on in my life right now and uh, really great guests. I'm excited about my guests on the show. Um, I wanted to start out because with uh, a little bit of a tribute, I guess, to grandparents. There's Um, a whole big grandparent thing going on on social media. If you pay attention to social media right now, there's like this whole big push about grandparents and um, realizing the importance of grandparents in your kids' lives. And ironically, my father-in-law passed away on Thursday. So we have been doing a lot of focusing on grandparents in our family this week. So It's kind of ironic and a little melancholy, actually a lot melancholy, Um, but it's bringing up a lot of topics that we really don't talk about enough in, in, in the parenting world, and that's, you know, how to deal with death with your kids. Uh, that's something that I really want to talk about on the show. I want to get somebody on soon that can kind of discuss this topic with us and help our kids through what is really a tough time for them, but I don't think we give it the value it deserves because we're so focused on our own big people feelings around it. So uh, we don't really acknowledge what kids go through. And some other things are uh, creating memories. And I think as Parent Nation has started to uh, isolate ourselves more and more, from our village, uh, I think we've really cut grandparents out of the picture more than is fair, even if they were less than stellar parents in our own memory. That doesn't mean that they can't be amazing grandparents and role models for our own kids. So some things that I want to discuss maybe on another show when it's not going to make me cry like a baby. Um, (laughs) so Kelly, hi, are you there, sweetie? Yes, I am here. I am here. We've got a crazy day here in Arizona. We've got over five inches of rain so far. Oh, wow. Do you know what that would mean at my house? A normal day? No, we would be a boat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I almost thought the pool was going to overflow and start coming in the house. It's, It's crazy. We've never had this before. Not in Arizona, no. I know, I know. They in our school district, they left it optional to go to school, but that really was, that was after I got home from already taking the carpool to school this morning. I could not get out of my neighborhood. It was so bad. Wow, that's scary. It was crazy. And here's the thing, Kelly. Why is that not on the news? 
It's on, on local news, but I don't, it might be on the national. My husband said it was a runoff from some hurricane that was going on earlier. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. I'm scary. I'm scared for you. You know, <laughs> here's the thing. Is it is it just rain or is it like thunderstorms and stuff like that? It started at 2 a.m. last night and it was thunderstorms, lightning, rain. And then this morning it's just been since since 6 it's just been raining and we've got a little let up right now, but uh forecast for more rain until 8 p.m. tonight. Wow. So we'll see how it goes. Um, um, we're going to cross our fingers and, and pray for you because that's, yeah. that's scary stuff. We've been flooded here um, three times mm. since we moved in in 2006. And it's, it, it's one of those things where it's created an irrational fear in me. Mm-hmm. And so now when it rains, like I'm completely empathizing with you right now because now when it rains, here I am a grown-ass adult and I can't sleep through rain Mm. it keeps me awake so some people are like oh i love the sound of the rain not me nope (laughs) no no thank you you can keep it (laughs) well here's the thing with us is we have one of those sound machines and it is rain that's what we go to sleep to at night but then the thunder just woke us up at 2 a.m it will get everybody says yeah two two in the morning we woke up two in the morning we woke up it's like everybody i know at two in the morning they woke up Wow, because of the thunder. That's funny. Yeah, there was a huge one. So do your kids, like, crawl in bed with you when it thunders? Are they scared Uh, of that? Not anymore. My daughter's 14 now, and she was fine. She had to comfort the dog. (laughs) Yeah. She had to comfort the dog sleeping in her room, so she had enough going on. Wow. So that's cool. So, yeah, Yeah. my dogs are the same way. They're obscene. They lock themselves in the bathroom, and then they bark to get out. And I'm like, you locked yourself in there, you're, (laughs) you know, boneheads. Yeah, my, I, it was kind of funny because one of my friends on Facebook posted this whole thing about how it was thundering and lightning so badly where she lives, and her five-year-old, I think, was really, really scared. And she fought with herself as a parent of whether or not she should let her child crawl into bed with her or whether she should crawl into her child's bed and fall asleep with her because of what that could create for the next several days of expectations. Like, Mm -hmm. in other words, if I let her sleep with me tonight, is she going to want to sleep with me for the next five days? And is that going to make my life miserable for the next five days? I'm like, you know, that is such an example of an awesome parent who really is overthinking it. Yeah. Way Right. Let your kid in the bed with you crawl in the bed with her. Who gives a shit? You're going to be, you know, you're going to have some disrupted sleep for the next three days. And guess what? She's five. Right. You're never going to have to deal with this kind of thing ever again in the next four years. So I'm, I'm thinking, love it. Mm-hmm. Love the being needed. Yes. <laughs> yes. Cause if she doesn't comfort her and just lets her kind of cry it out if you will what what kind of ramifications will come from that possibly right so there she is laying awake in her bed at whatever o'clock in the morning two o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. right facebooking about it when you know just do what feels right in the moment right no regrets so that you can look back on it and go, yeah, you, you remember when you used to be scared of thunderstorms and you would crawl in bed with us and we would snuggle. And then that's going to be the big joke when they're 14 years old. You right. want to come snuggle with me? <laughs> and then you can feel good about what you did. And we need to stop beating ourselves up. 
We right. have to. My right. daughter's my daughter's always, I want it to rain at school. I want it to rain at school. And today she got her wish, but half the school is flooded, so they can't go to a portion of their classes. So she had to actually sit in the gym for three class periods this morning because the classes that she had were in this flooded area. Oh, <laughs> so she's like, I want to come home. And, and you know, they, they said you can pick them up, but I couldn't get to the school. Wow. I couldn't get there. So and that's she, a scary she, thing too for the kids. They're like, yeah. you know, I, now I need you. I want you to come get me. And you're telling me you can't get me. Right. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, parenting is so freaking hard. Isn't it fun? It's fun. It's not hard. It's just wonky. It is. It is. But that's what makes it interesting. Right. Crazy. So here's some interesting stuff. So how do you feel about homework? Can't stand it. Can't stand it. So Can't this, stand you. <laughs> so they've started doing a study in Canada where schools are actually doing away with homework. Woohoo! Let's move to Canada. Yay, let's move to Canada. There's actually a school around, uh, there's actually a school in the United States that's doing it too, and they're having really great success with it. And what they're finding is that it's giving kids more time to be social human beings with their families and just, and practice other skills like, I don't know, like eating together and <laughs> communicating and, uh, and doing family things and chores. So, you know, that's kind of cool. Um, and with the new, what's it called? The new math or the new core? Common core. Common core. They're finding that they're learning more in the classroom. So it's not as necessary to send homework home. And that's pretty cool. I, As an advocate, that's one of the first things that I fight for is that these kids not have homework because that's one of the biggest family struggles is right. when you have a, a kid with special needs who's really passionately belligerent about not doing homework because, mm -hmm. you know, I've already done that. Why do I have to do it again at home? I have video games to play and things to do. And so I find that when the, the struggle's not there, then the kids are actually more focused and more attentive in class. Right. Isn't that crazy? I think so, they should... I think they should give the assignment, teach the lesson, give the assignment in class, plenty of time, and if they don't finish it, they can take it home and finish right. what was assigned. But I not do that. stuff in the classroom and then give you an extra five pages of, of you know, geometry that they're never going to use in their life. They have to figure out that takes them two and a half hours to do at home. You know, it doesn't make sense to me. Plus the English paper that they yeah. have to write, plus the diorama that they have to make for science class, uh -huh. Did you know, you see? plus the costume that they have to make for social studies. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. Did you see the, uh, the post about the science fair project? I did on Parent Nation. <laughs> that was awesome. Funny. Kelly, if you're new to Parent Nation, Kelly will post things every once in a while. And uh, there it's, it's just funny the funniest stuff ever and she posted this thing about the uh, a science fair project that a little girl <laughs> did that was um how much strife does do science fair 
projects create in the family or turmoil how much turmoil do science fair projects create in the family so if you get a chance go look at it it's hysterically funny and i think we should do more studies like that i mean i know that was very tongue-in-cheek and she probably got in a lot of trouble for doing it but i really think that kids should kids and families should do more stuff like that as projects for school to prove not only knowledge of the of the material but also to get families talking about what works and doesn't work for individual families because that data to me is more important than whether or not they've you know they know how to do algebra 2 or speak a third language <laughs> I think that should be a personal family decision. If you travel with your kids and you want them to learn other languages, that should be a personal decision. It should be something that they get to do, not something that they have to do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think we force too much unnecessary information on kids these days, and we don't allow them to do enough research and playful learning, which is how they really are designed to learn. That's my opinion. So here's a question for you. Did you see the uh, the arrest of the 11-year-old uh, or 10-year-old uh, autistic boy in Kissimmee, Florida? Mm, I sure did. So they, they, they call in the police. The, the kid's father is standing right outside the classroom. The kid's melting down in a special needs classroom, people. This isn't in a mainstream classroom. This is in a life skills. That's what they call special needs classrooms now. Life skills classroom. He has a meltdown, and he's being combative with the teacher. So they call the father and the police. So the father is standing outside the classroom, wants to go in and console his child, but instead they send the police in because clearly the police know how to handle this child better than his dad. Right. Right? So the police go in, and they start grilling the kid, and when the kid won't answer them, they cuff him. Because they said that he's being combative and resistant. So they cuff him and take him outside and put him on the hood of their police car because they said that the ground was too... They were going to make him lay down on the ground to cuff him. But the ground was too hot, so instead they laid him across the hood of their police car to cuff the him. The hot car, probably. Right, exactly, exactly, because that makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. And people are saying, you know, if these kids are going to be combative in class, then the police have to be called. And then there's the logical side of the argument that's saying if you have a child in a special needs classroom, then if the parent is there willing and able to help, that should be the first course of action. Sure. So um, our first guest that we're going to have on after our first break, um, Aviva Weiss, she is actually, she works with, she creates play environments and that sort of thing for kids on the spectrum. And so I'm excited to talk about that topic with her and see what she thinks about that. Because, I mean, if that were my kid, you'd be cuffing both of us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, yeah. it, these kids shut down. That's what they do. That's what we teach them to do. We teach them that when you're, when you're escalated, you have to learn how to de-escalate. And that means taking yourself away from your triggers and calming yourself down. So when somebody is coming at you with a thousand questions that are escalating you, your first course of action is to shut your mouth and say nothing and shut down. That's exactly what this boy did. And they arrested him for it. So I, we've, we're getting it so wrong and we've had, we've got to learn how to get it right because at the rate that children are being diagnosed today, we've got to learn how to get this right. 
or else we're going to have an entire generation, half the population in the next 10 years is going to be, um, we're not going to know how to deal with them. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it's pretty crazy. Um, I wrote an article. We only have three minutes until our first, our next break, but I wrote a, a, a post recently on Facebook and it's why I don't focus on making my kids say I'm sorry. And it was pretty interesting because it got a lot of debate on both sides, particularly from, you know, one group of people who disagree with everything that I say. Okay. <laughs> but here's my thing. I think when we force our kids to say they're sorry, um, first of all, I think we do it to, to girls more than we do it to boys. I think hmm. we make girls say they're sorry more than we make boys say they're sorry. And what we're doing is we're creating an environment or a belief system in our kids that if someone wrongs us, we're obligated to say sorry to make it better so we can move on. Hmm. I can't tell you how many times parents come to me and, you know, we'll be in a coaching appointment or we'll be engaged in a conversation and the child will do something and the parent will look at the kid and say, oh, my gosh, just say you're sorry and, and go back to playing. <laughs> Don't we do that? Yes. We really do. Think of the shallowness now that we've built around that statement. Oh, my God, just tell him you're sorry so you can move on. That's really not at all. First of all, what if you're not, what if the kid's not sorry? Right. You know, what if I punched your kid in the mouth because he's been calling me fat for the last 15 minutes and I'm sick of it. Yeah. But I have to say, I'm sorry because I'm the one who lashed out. And what if I'm not ready to accept your apology? What if I'm on the other end of that and you punched me in the mouth and now you say you're sorry and I'm supposed to go, that's okay. Mm -hmm. because that's the next step, isn't it? Say you're sorry, now accept their apology. We've made it so rote that it has absolutely zero meaning. So I encourage you to go on Facebook and look up that post, Parent Nation, and you know, give me your opinion now, hearing what I had to say about it, instead of just reading it and putting your own tone to it, which is what we do too often. Go on there and read it, and then post based on what I've just said, because there's so many stupid things that we do. We really need to talk about it more. And that's why I talk about stuff. It's not to irritate you. It's because that's what we need to do. When we come <laughs> back from this break, we're going to be talking to my first guest, Aviva Weiss, who is the uh, CEO of Fun and Functions. So when we come back, which is why Tara's taking a cocktail break and we're taking care of business with a word from these sponsors. Secret Cuisines and Sacred Rituals is a quest, a place, and a feast. Join host Vilasi Venkatachalam every week to explore myths, mystique, old medicine, and brilliant modern solutions through a dazzling kaleidoscope of cuisines, cultures, and cures. This is the place where tribes gather, strangers and familiars, to be memory keepers and makers of our evolving, enduring, evergreen, spoken legacy of wisdom and ingenuity. In Velocity's words, when we do old things in new ways and new things in old ways, we paint with an inspired palette, weave our own healing traditions, and become our own guru. Velasi is a troubadour of secret cuisines and sacred rituals. She collects stories of wisdom, 
ingenuity and grit. She believes wellness and transformation happen when you stand at the threshold of delight and discovery. She displays her hidden penchant for drama when she leads the safari at the supper club. Her favorite pastime is to extol the marvels of cuisines, cultures, and cures to her audience in workplaces, seminars, and salons. Her mantra is, be your own guru. She is a biochemist, botanist, and alchemist who likes to churn delightful, useful things from a brew of art and science, ancient and evolving, old medicine, and new cures. Join Velocity every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, only here on the Woo Woo Radio. Welcome to The Quip with Miriam Nicole Huffman, a modern woman's guide to styling her faith, family, and finances. The online radio show dedicated to today's positive, purpose-driven woman who's ready to heal her heart, her head, and her household by realigning with what she values most. If your highest values are faith, family, finances, and freedom, you're in the right place. Host Miriam Nicole Huffman is a woman on a mission. Her mess to success journey has taken her her from life as an upper middle class stay at home mom to a broke single mom to living a life of joy and wholeness as she builds a thriving business while raising her healthy happy family every week on the quip Miriam Nicole shares her love life legal and lifestyle success secrets whether it's wisdom you're seeking inspiration and motivation from someone who's hit rock bottom and risen to success or you want to know how to fully align your faith family and finances to create more freedom for yourself your in excellent hands with Miriam Nicole. Check out past shows by clicking on the podcast player to the right or check our recent guests in the blog below. Got a question for Miriam Nicole? Want to be a guest on her show? Email us at thequip at miriamnicolehuffman.com and join us every Thursday at 2 p.m. Central Standard Time only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Welcome back to Parent Nation with Tara Kennedy Klein, the Internet's top talk radio show featuring real talk for real parents. Clean my house? <laughs> it's time to clean their house. You know what it means if my house is clean? I have big closets and a broken computer. Shaken and stirred up with a twist from America's family advocate, Tara Kennedy Klein. And now, back to the show. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the show. Um, I am going to start doing segments uh, that are sponsored by different organizations and companies and that sort of thing throughout the show. And I really, as Parent Nation, I would really love your feedback on what kind of things you would like to see. This, um, I have a guest who we're, we're trying to find her. You know, it's one of those crazy things. Moms are busy and, and we forget about stuff. But um, my, the segment that we're doing now is basically about play and special needs kids. And today I, I have a guest that's going to be coming on in the next couple weeks in October who designed a game and uh, it's potty. It's called potty time. So I'm really excited about that. But what I love is when we can find moms and parents who are creating things that are working for their own kids, because to me, we are the ultimate gauge 
of what teaches our kids and what's fun to do and what we're willing to do with them as parents. And I, you know, I just think that's the most important game. Those are the most important things that we can do. Kelly, we were talking about homework. Yes. You know, and bringing homework home. Can you imagine how much fun homework would be if it were set up as a game? Mm, That'd be awesome. And why don't we do things like that? Because we, I don't know, because we want to, the school system wants to make it like it's work. Right. I, you know, and I see that too. And uh, we, we had a situation with my, my son, um, he just started 10th grade, which, you know, things start to get really hard in 10th grade, but you're still dealing with children, you know, like the concepts get harder, but you're still, still dealing with kids. And we had parent teacher night and we were meeting the different instructors and some of them just came off as, you know, they were so serious about the topic that they were teaching that it, to me, it almost felt like, how can you make this fun? Like, how can you make my kid want to learn about what you're teaching? We, I think we believe that kids should, kids should want to learn the way we want to teach them. But if, I mean, my gosh, if you watch, everybody loves kitten videos, right? Everybody loves baby animal videos, right? So if you watch videos of animals, animal parents teaching their children, their babies, their children, what does it look like? Play. Play. Even animals are getting it right and we're not getting it right. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about, um, with Aviva, I, I'm, we're having a little bit of trouble, so I don't know if we're going to be able to get her. But one of the things that I really wanted to talk to her about was the the situation with the boy, the autistic boy that got um, that got handcuffed at school. Right. We see a lot of situations. We've seen a lot of situations in the news lately with students that are acting up or acting out, and we don't know what to do with them. So we do what we would do to an adult or we do like ridiculous or we resort to ridiculous things like the toddlers that they were duct taping them to their sleeping mats because the kids Mm -hmm. weren't, weren't being still during nap time. I think one of the big things that bothers me is they're supposed to have, they're supposed to have spaces in schools that accommodate special needs kids where these kids can go and just de-escalate places where they can go and be safe and get their energy out without hurting themselves and other people. And we're misusing the tools that we're supposed to use. We're they're called um, de-escalation rooms or safe space, safe rooms, whatever. Right. And when our son, when we were going through ABA therapy with our son, one of the first things that therapist said to us was. Do you have a safe room in your house? And when you hear that term, Kelly, what's the first thing you visualize? Uh, Like from storms or hurricanes. Right. Like a a lockdown, like a cell, like a bunker, right? Mm -hmm. Actually, what a safe room is, is it's a a place that is free from anything that that could harm the child, but it actually contains things that will calm a child down. 
So beanbag chairs that they can punch or, you know, throw around or paper that they can tear. Kids, special needs kids are very soothed by tearing paper. It's, it's very common. If you have a special needs kid, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Wheels. They're very calmed by spinning wheels. So a safe room is going to have things like that in it. It's going to be well lit. It's not going to be a dark place. It's going to be well lit so that they don't freak out if they're afraid of the dark. And it's just a place for them to go and be and calm down and do what soothes them. But if you look at some of the things that are being brought up in the news, they're using these safe rooms more like closets or cells where they're putting these kids in these barren rooms with no light, literally turning lights out on them and mm-hmm. locking them in there like solitary confinement. And then we want to know why this stuff isn't working. So I think one of the biggest things that we need to get back to is getting into playing with these kids, finding out what um, takes them to their happy place. For my kid, it's Jim Gaffigan videos and Brian Regan videos. Do you know who those guys are? Uh, Brian Regan, he's a comedian, isn't he? Yes. yes. They're, they're clean comedians, whatever. Mm-hmm. But they're, I mean, they're funny as heck. But here's the key. If you can get my child, if you can get my son to laugh, it immediately calms him down. And so for the first three years of his school career, teachers were trying to get him to comply with their direction. So if he was escalating, what would they do? They would want to discipline him. They would want to send him to the principal's office and make him explain why he did what he did and why it was wrong. Now, here's a kid who, he's like Kenny in South Park. You know, when he gets in trouble, he would put his hoodie over his head and pull the strings as tight Uh as he could (laughs) and and sit there and curl up in a little ball and swear under his breath at you because he didn't want to talk to you because he knew that nothing that came out of his mouth in that state was going to be acceptable or appropriate. Even at that age, he knew that. So he would clam up, and then he'd get in trouble for clamming up. So... I guess what I'm saying is we need to spend less time focusing on how to discipline these kids and how to get them to comply. And we need to start focusing on communicating with these kids and finding out what makes them happy and what makes them open up and what calms them down and what puts them in a state of being willing to receive what you're trying to teach them. And we never know... What I find to be the biggest problem is that people confuse escalation, which is a term used for special needs kids. People confuse escalation with a temper tantrum. Right. And when our kids have a temper tantrum as a toddler, what's the first thing we want to do? Make them stop. Mm -hmm. Discipline them. We want to make them listen to us. We want to explain to them that what they're doing is wrong And we want them to acknowledge what we've said and obey. And the problem is when you have a kid like this boy in Florida who is completely escalated and you don't know why, the first thing that you need to do is get him to a space where he's away from whatever's triggering him 
that he's not being embarrassed or called out. And that's how kids see discipline when they're escalated and you treat them differently. They're, they get embarrassed and that makes them more angry and more violent. And, you know, one of the things that I really wanted to talk about and hopefully we'll be able to get Aviva on another time because her products and what she does is, are just so amazing. Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is how we can deal with these situations when children are being violent and having these outbursts and are doing things like, honestly, Kelly, if you were to see my son before ABA therapy, before we learned how to work with him and, um, we were able to recognize his, his escalations and what they looked like, he was physically combative. Hmm. And as a mother, I was hurt. I was emotionally hurt. I was embarrassed and I was in denial. I didn't, I didn't want anybody to know that that was going on because if they knew that I was allowing my child to hurt me, they would see me as a bad parent, but more importantly, they would see my son as a bad person Hmm. because they would assume that the reason he's hurting me is because he's bad. Which in turn is your fault. Which in turn is my fault. I should have just beat his ass and made him listen. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Isn't that the answer to everything? Yeah. But what you don't realize is when you're dealing with a child like that, that's completely escalated to the point of being rationally blind, hitting them is going to make them crazier. It's going to make them there. You would have to beat them into submission in order for that, that type of discipline to be even remotely effective in the moment. Forget about long-term because you do that to a child on the, on the spectrum and long-term you've lost them, which is why I wrote that ADD. You can't beat it out of them right? because you, you can't. I mean, it would be like beating the old woman with Alzheimer's because she can't remember to take her meds. Mm -hmm. That's how irrational that is for a child on the spectrum. So, um, what I, what I had to do was I had to get to know my child on an intimate level. (laughs) Isn't that kind of shocking? And, (laughs) (laughs) and when something started to escalate him, I could, I didn't have to know what the trigger was right then. I just had to know what his responses were to triggers. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I learned that when my son was getting irritated or frustrated, he would shuffle his feet if he was sitting in a chair or he would start to pace or he would start, then he would start to talk rapidly, nonsensically. You know what I mean? Like he would talk about nothing really, really fast. Um, Then he would start to make noises like he would clear his throat um, or he would make like growling noises or. But here's the thing. I could actually take a chart and I could write the um, what he was doing next to a color starting like if blue was completely calm going all the way up to red that was completely escalated that you can't even talk to him. You just have to put him in a space where he's void of anything that can trigger him. I could, I could literally make a chart of those things after observing him for two days. 
and putting him in situations where he became escalated. But what that did was it allowed me to be able to read my kid. Right. You become more aware of what's going on. Right. So I could say when he started shuffling his feet, I could look at him and go, I can see you're getting agitated, but what do you need right now? Do you want to play a game? Do you want to take a break? Do you want to, you know, do you want to tell me a joke? And I know that that sounds really silly and juvenile when you're dealing with a 13 or a 14 year old, but here's the thing. And this is what we need to accept as parents. If it works, who gives a shit? Right. Just do it. It doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter what parent nation thinks in that moment. You know your kid intimately, if you know your kid intimately, and you're able to help them through those situations, then you should be the first person to be called into that classroom. And as schools, if there are teachers or administrators listening to this show, you have to stop with the overprotectiveness and work with the parents who know these kids on such an intimate level so that you can help them, so that you can get control of your classroom down the road. Because the more parents, the more, the more opportunities we take to allow parents to teach us how to work with their kids, the more generic working with these kids will become. Because you're going to get a broader spectrum of, of what works by listening to the parents. We have to stop insisting that old school methods are going to work for every single kid. And we have to get back to what's working in houses today in America. And we have to start listening. And honestly, if we start talking to our kids more, they're going to tell us what works. And that's why I, I love what um, I love what fun and function brings because she brings gameplay into that whole de-escalation process. She brings gameplay into that whole intimate learning about each other process. And that's what we need a lot more of. So, well, I think I did a good job with, uh, with Aviva's segment. Oh, yeah, you sure did. <laughs> when we come back, we're going to be talking, hopefully, to our next guest, Mike Poldniski. <laughs> and we'll be right back with more Parenting with a Twist. Spark Your Soul Radio with Ann Phyllis. Perspectives with purpose, insights with heart. The WooHoo Radio Network show for spiritual seekers and fire starters who are ready to stop feeling lost, alone, confused, or blocked and start tuning into your soul speak so you can ignite all areas of your world. From your work to your relationships, lifestyle to legacy. Host Ann Phyllis is a spiritual analyst, fire starter, energy alchemist, and soul truth clairvoyant. Using the heart and purpose-based principles of her signature Soul Sense system, Anne offers weekly wisdom for tuning in, letting go, unlocking, and unblocking. If you've been walking through life with excess baggage, a heavy heart, a feeling of disconnection from your inner life, consider Anne your guide to spark your soul journey and reignite your relationships, life, purpose, work, and spiritual consciousness. 
every week on Spark Your Soul Radio and takes you on a journey into the heart of your soul sense. There, she helps translate your energy, essence, and soul truth knowing into positive action and change. From this space of personal awakening and transformation, you're able to reignite your spirit, spark your soul, and live in alignment with your vision and values. Ready to spark your soul? Check out past shows by clicking on the podcast player. Got a question for Anne? Want to be a guest on her show? Visit sparkyoursoul.me and listen to Anne every Thursday at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Shh, listen, something is brewing. The beautiful business evolution is coming. The way we do business is about to change for the better forever. This is real business at its very best. On Beautiful Business Radio, you will learn what it means to truly prosper, how to nourish yourself and your business, how to earn what you deserve and make a difference in the world. The tide is rising. The change is here. Discover a new way to live, love, and partner with yourself and your business. On Philippa Rollins presents Beautiful Business Radio where you matter and your business thrives every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Welcome back to Parent Nation with Tara Kennedy Klein, the Internet's top talk radio show featuring real talk for real parents. Clean my house? <laughs> it's time to clean their house. You know what it means if my house is clean? I have big closets and a broken computer. Shaken and stirred up with a twist from America's family advocate, Tara Kennedy Klein. And now, back to the show. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome back to the show. I am really kind of a little bit nervous about my next guest because... Well, he's a gardening expert, and I pretty much can't grow nothing. Never have been able to. Don't know what's going on there, but I'm excited to learn. So um, his name is Mike Podlesny, and his book is Vegetable Gardening for the Average Person. And that I think I fit into that category, so I'm mm-hmm. kind of excited. And we're going to talk about vegetable gardening with kids and how important that is. Hey, Mike, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing great. I yeah, I'm doing awesome. I um I I wasn't sure when I got your book, I was like, well, huh, this is going to be interesting because I've always dreamt of having a really awesome vegetable garden and I've always thought that it could be something really cool to do with my kids, but I suck at it. <laughs> well, dreaming's half the battle, so uh you have that part out of the way. <laughs> Well, I like that because I'm a big dreamer. So um, you've been like, you've been a vegetable gardener for like 30 years. Here's the thing. I'm, I live in Pennsylvania, so I'm surrounded by farming and all of that stuff. So like, is this something that you grew up with or is this something that you came into that you decided you wanted to try? Like, how does one decide that they're going to make a, a profession out of vegetable gardening? Oh, well, my gardening background dates back to when I was a kid. My my parents, oh, actually my dad, he's originally from Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, so he's over from uh, your state. 
And they grew up on a small farm up there. And after they moved from there down to New Jersey, uh, I'm originally from Trenton, and my dad always just had a backyard garden. And I just really got into it. I just loved what he was doing back there. It just always fascinated me how you could take some of like a small seed and grow it into something that, you know, eventually you could consume. And, you know, I just carried that with me to where I am now. And it was about a few years ago when I just decided I wanted to write a book and put down all the things that my dad taught me and my grandparents taught me and just kind of get all those ideas down and, and make it so that it's, anybody can understand it and, and anybody can do it, which is your work came up with the, the average person gardening part. Well, I think your book is awesome because I, I've always struggled I've always tried to do container gardens because I like to keep things separated. Like I'm one of those people who doesn't like my food to touch. So, (laughs) right. And the only thing you're going to love this one, Mike, the only thing that I've ever really gotten to grow well is mint, but mint takes over everything. Like if you plant anything else in a garden with it, it's going to die because mint just eats it. Yeah, mint can be very invasive. So, you know, if you're going to start with something to get the, the, those success victories, mint would be it. <laughs> <laughs> and you can make mojitos with mint. So there's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Bonus. So, you know, that's like pretty. So I decided that I was going to keep everything separate and do everything in containers. But things don't grow well for me. Like, I, I just I, I'm just terrible at it. And my kids are always driving me crazy about having a vegetable garden, which makes me feel really guilty because, as you talk about, like, vegetable gardening is really, really awesome for kids. Yeah, I have two young kids myself, and I'm pretty fortunate because they, whether, you know, they do it, they help me because I'm into it, but they really get into it, and I just find that we kind of motivate each other because I see they get so excited about when we grow things that it just wants me to keep going because I want to keep teaching them things. Uh, and, you know, sometimes that's a good thing. You know, like you were talking about you know, you're not really into gardening, but your kids want to get into it. Maybe that's the motivation that you need to, you know, maybe start a couple of small things and grow from there. No pun intended, actually. but <laughs> <laughs> That was a good one, though. And, see, that's the thing that always scared me because in this whole world of perfect parenting, I thought, oh, my gosh, I, I know my kids want to do this, but – I don't want to fail in front of them and I don't want to kill their garden because they're kind of looking <laughs> to me as the adult who's going to make this work. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, it's not going to work. <laughs> yeah, and then, then in a few years when their stuff is, is growing and they get to the point where like, you know, we need to keep mom away from our stuff. So. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's absolutely true. That's pretty funny. I did have an awesome experience with uh, corn because it, I guess the birds were dropping the corn or the squirrels were dropping the corn in my yard, like right in front of my patio. And the next thing you know, like all this corn started coming up and I let it grow. Cause I was like, well, it sort of looks like a decoration. Like I meant it to be there. So oh, I let you, it grow. If you, well, if, you, if you're able to grow that corn, then, then you are already an expert because corn <laughs> is one of the more harder things to grow, believe it or not, especially in the home garden. Just because you, you need so many plants in order to get good pollination. And a lot of people don't, you know, they think it's just like tomatoes. You grow one plant, you get a bunch of tomatoes. But with corn, you need a lot of plants. So if you have success with corn, you can grow anything. Thank you. 
that's very empowering. That's going to be my new affirmation now. If I can grow corn, I can grow anything. I'm just going to say that for now. It's <laughs> your, your new motto. You can put it on your website, Facebook pages. You know, on, I like it. it. On the newsletter. So what kind of, what are the best ways to get your kids started in gardening? Because we always hear that if, if kids are pick, especially if they're picky eaters, right? Like kids won't eat vegetables. My kids won't eat vegetables. But if you plant a garden, kids will tend to eat what they've cultivated, right? Yeah, that's that's absolutely true, and it's it's true in my case. I can speak from experience. The the, the best way that I've seen that to get my kids just motivated to going uh, growing is the first thing I did was I got them their own set of tools. And when I say the set of tools, I'm talking you know Fisher Price plastic tools like that. Um, so that they have the exact same tools that Dad uses. So if I go out and I you know, grab a rake, well, they have a rake. And so they feel like they're helping, so they're kind of part of what you're doing. So that, that went a long way because they really enjoy that. The second thing I did was just allow them to pick whatever seeds they wanted to grow. And I'm telling them what they're, what they're growing. Uh, most times kids, the younger the kids, they gravitate towards the larger seeds for whatever reason. I honestly don't know the exact reason why they do that. I'm guessing just because they look cool. But they, they'll grow, they'll gravitate towards you know, your squash and your sunflowers and things like that. As they get a little bit older, they start going to some of the more like really cool looking seeds, you know, your pepper seeds and some of your broccoli and stuff like that. And your carrots are really cool looking seeds. Um, and then the third thing I like to do is each, each of my sons, they have their own little garden area, a three foot by three foot area, and they can plant whatever they want in it. But the agreement is they have to take care of it. And that really gets them going because they kind of have their own thing and, um, my older son, believe it or not, he grows broccoli. He absolutely loves to eat broccoli, and he grows it. And so we're pretty excited about that. My younger son likes carrots, so he grows a lot of carrots. So we, we kind of you know, combine those three things, and it just it does some wonders for, for my two sons, and they really get into it to the point where now they'll go into the garage, and they actually will take some of my potting soil and just start things just randomly. So <laughs> they've really gotten into wow. it. Really? That's pretty yeah. awesome. So here's the thing that stifled my gardening desires from the time I was, I'm going to say, eight, nine years old. My my stepmom had the most amazing garden. It was huge. The thing was like half the size of a football field. And oh, she wow. made me weed it. <laughs> oh, yes. That's the best way to discourage anybody from, from wanting a garden is, is if uh, you, you get out there and weed it. Uh, you know, one of the one of the best things you could do is, especially if you're new to gardening, is just start small and just grow one or two things that you like to eat. You know, if, if you, you love tomatoes, you know, maybe just do one or two tomato plants. So this way, like you said, I mean, you, you had a half a football field there. That's a lot of work, especially if you're not used to it. So starting small really goes a long way. <laughs> and it was so hot out there. Oh, my gosh. That was the worst. I hated it. And <laughs> I got so. You, mean you didn't enjoy that. You didn't enjoy that time in the field with uh, with with all those weeds. No, no, and <laughs> it, it, no, it was disgusting. And then, she, like, we would do we would do these things. Like, we would go picking strawberries. Like, we would pick strawberries and stuff like that. Well, when do you pick stra- strawberries? In the middle of uh, well, around freaking here, yeah, summer. Around here is the early part of the summer. Yeah. Yeah, and and where and it was blazing hot in the middle of a field, and we would get we would look like a strawberry by the time we came out of there. So I think if I had to, if I had to pinpoint 
like a few of the things that scarred me, <laughs> jaded me against gardening, it was those really nasty, bad experiences. So I love your concept of creating like a three by three space. It's easy to maintain. Do you put like weed block down or do you just like, what do you find is the best way to maintain your gardening space without being out there every day, picking weeds and stuff? Or do you do that? Well, the, uh, the one thing I do, uh, especially for my garden beds is, is I do put a weed blocker down, but I put down newspaper. So what I like to do is, Let's say I have my soil in my raised bed, and then I'll put down, you know, three to five sheets of newspaper, which here in New Jersey, the, all the newspapers has vegetable-based ink, so it's safe for your soil. It's not going to harm anything. Then I'll throw on some layers of mulch. So around here, we have a lot of pine trees, so I take a lot of the pine uh, needles, and I'll use that as a mulch, and then I just plant my garden that way. It doesn't stop every single weed, but it stops, I would say, 95% of them. So that, you know, you might go out there, you know, maybe for like two or three minutes a day and just kind of look around, make sure that there's no big weeds taking over. You just you pull them. It really has cut down on a ton of that work. Will that work for a larger garden slash farm? No, probably not. But for you know, your typical backyard gardener, that, that's one solution that you could use. Uh, a lot of people use mulches. A lot of people don't like to till their garden because uh, when, you, when you till your garden, it kind of brings all those weed seeds up to the top. Um, there's like a lot of techniques, but the one I like to use the most is the newspaper weed barrier. That's brilliant. I love that because my husband is like a weed block fanatic and that's my least favorite thing of any landscaping project that we do is we have to weed block everything. I'm like, <laughs> oh man. And then I have to sit there and cut like little holes in the weed block and that's a pain in the butt. I hate doing that. So yeah, the newspaper is yeah. easy because it's just paper. So I love that. That's brilliant. I'm totally going to do that. That's like the one t that's like I could leave here with that tip and I'd be a happy camper. That's pretty awesome. I, yeah, I'm telling you, it goes a long way. It, it, it's, I can't express enough just by cutting back all those extra weeds and reducing that work. It does really, it, it, there is work with gardening so that you could do little tricks like that. It, it really helps speed things up and makes it a lot more fun. That's pretty awesome. You know what we did with my kids when they were little? We got, um, we got bamboo sticks and we made, we formed them in like a teepee shape. And then we planted beans around the edge of the teepee. And by the middle of summer, the beans had grown up the teepee. And it was like, it was covered. It was like this little private space inside there. And they would go and sit in there. That was fun. They're supposed to oh, keep the beans yeah, that, and eat them. but very classic. That's, uh, I, don't, I, I haven't done that with my kids. But I have seen that some of my neighbors have done that. They build these you know, six to eight foot tall trellis TP structures. And it, it, yeah, it forms like their own little tent of beans in there. And yeah, that's very classic. That's, uh, that, that's awesome. If, um, you know, your listeners, you know, may not know what that is or the thing about trying it. I'd highly recommend that because kids do get a kick out of that. That's the fun stuff that you can do with gardening. I think, I think if we make them fun, like I've seen people do, um, because like pumpkins, and they have, like, huge leaves and rhubarb, like, these huge leaves. And then you can do, like, fair, if you have little girls or whatever, you can do, like, fairy gardens or little gnome gardens with these giant leaves. And, you know, it's it's about the food, but it's also about the fun, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The, the You can get a, uh, as creative as you want. One of the things that me and my wife like to grow that my kids just get a kick out of are the huge, the giant gray mammoth sunflowers 
with a giant head. They, these things grow about 10 to 12 feet tall. Um, there's just something about the kids just absolutely love them for some reason. So we'll usually plant like three or four of those. But they, I mean, they're just enormous. Uh, and, and they kind of get all creative with that, especially if you, you cut the heads off and you start harvesting the seeds. But, yeah, just like everything you just mentioned, I mean, you can make a little kind of miniature garden, you know, villages and stuff. I've seen people do that, too, with their kids and uh, the kids really get a kick out of that, you know, playing there and whatnot. It's it just as creative as you want to be. I love that. That's so fun. And we really need to start doing a lot more of that because kids used to eat vegetables. When I remember gardening was a big thing when I was a kid. And, you know, it, kids used to eat their vegetables. And now people are so picky and everybody's like, oh, I don't make them do whatever they don't want to do. And you know what? Then get out there and garden and do something fun with them because – we really need to get kids outside more. And the more things that we can do out in nature, getting your hands dirty, you know, getting into the soil, growing your own food. You want to get away from pesticides? Grow your own food. That's the first way to do it. It's, I love the, the whole, all the stuff that they're doing now where they're saying don't plant grass, plant food. I mean, those are all oh, such yeah, awesome absolutely. concepts, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I uh, and, you know, you definitely want to get them out there. I think we live in a society now where everybody just wants something right away. So you want to, you want to pop in the microwave or you, you want to you know, pull it from a box or you know, some processed whatever. But if you get out in the garden, you, you, you learn where your food comes from. You can teach your kids where, where the food comes from. It invariably will build a healthier lifestyle, I believe. I see it in my own kids. You know, they eat the vegetables. They eat the, we have huge raspberry bushes um, in, in our garden area. Oh and my, my God, kids will go out there when it's raspberry season, which it happens to be right now. And they just go out there and they'll just start eating raspberries after raspberries. And just, it, fresh fruit right off the, you know, the, the, the raspberry bush. It, it doesn't get any better than that. There's no pesticides, no chemicals, no nothing like that. They just get to eat fresh fruit. And, and it's just fantastic to see them do it. And they're going to carry that through them, uh, with them for the rest of their lives and a healthy lifestyle. So. Thank you so much for that. Mike, we are out of time, but I want to thank you so much for bringing all of this fun and function to our show. So everybody, check out Mike's book. It's uh, And he's on Facebook, facebook.com slash veggie gardening. Next week, everybody, keep playing. Thank you so much for having me on. You've been listening to Parent Nation with Tara Kennedy Klein. Want more real talk for real parents? Seriously, Parent Nation, not every decision in parenting has to contain a hidden message or a life lesson. Sometimes it just has to pass mom's little barometer of, is this going to shut them up? Connect with Tara online at tarakennedykline.com. Until next time, remember this. Parent Nation, why do we keep calling this the hardest job on the planet? Why don't we just appreciate the gift that we're given and try calling it the most amazing opportunity on the planet?